Welcome to the Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, the podcast where we discuss all things sex, sexuality, and pleasure. Today, I am joined by an actress, a podcaster, a pole dance studio owner, a mama, and the woman who encourages us all to say our mind. And if that wasn't clue enough for you, it's Kalechi Okafor. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming back with us. Um, you were with us in London. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who couldn't be there, so sorry. <laughs> but the good news is we have Kalechi back with us to give us some of the wisdom and the insights and just the magic that we experienced on that night. And I'm going to use this word wisdom a lot in the conversation with mm -hmm. you because you are really one of the wisest women I have had the, the pleasure to interact Thank with. You. And Thank I mean you. that sincerely. Thank and when we're in London, you talked about um, exercise as a meditation. Yeah, I think that what is meditation but to bring us back to self, to bring us back to the present. And I think that there are many ways of doing that. Surely stillness is one of those um, ways. And it's the main way that we're, you know, that we're taught, that we're told about, you know, meditate as in sitting still and doing it that way. But I found that with the kind of energy that I have, of course, stillness helps. But I also enjoy moving, moving as meditation, moving as bringing me, you know, for bringing me back to the body, bringing me back to the present, bringing me back um, to self running I call you know my moving prayer because while I'm running I have I feel that it's one of the times when I'm most grateful for my lungs my heart my you know my breath you know and being able to take in the world around me what do we do meditation for to have clarity right to have clarity of mind and I usually find that I have that clarity once I've gone running or once I've, you know, lifted some weights or once I've danced or something like that. Of course, stillness will always be, you know, beneficial. But for me, movement kind of takes priority in that way. Mm. Did having a baby have any effect on your ability to, to move and how did it change your relationship with your body? Yeah, it changed my relationship with my body quite a bit. You know, like I look back on pictures of myself before having um, my son and I think about how harsh I was um, to myself, even those times like, oh, you haven't quite reached this body um, fat percentage. You haven't done this. You could be faster. You could be stronger. You could be this. You could be that. And it's so easy to be body positive, quote unquote, when you have a body that society already approves of. Right. So I was making all my videos that time, like teaching twerk, twerk um, as a way of working through trauma, twerk as a form of empowerment. However, my body, to some degree, still, you know, still aligned with what society agreed with, regardless of how harsh I was being on myself internally. Then having my son. I feel like so much changed for me um, physically. And then suddenly I'm having to go back to my own words and really, really take them in because this is your body now. This is your body now. And where do you go from here? And so the, my relationship with myself had to become way more honest. Like what societal conventions insulate you from your truth? what are you going to do about that? So I think it made me more truthful as a person and 
real truth resonates far beyond what you would expect but it took me having to really look at myself and be like girl what are you saying and apart from what are you saying what do you believe of what you have said because oftentimes people can talk a good talk but whether they believe it whether they've internalized it truly well yeah that's just a whole another like kettle of fish Hmm. And you talked about, you know, body positivity because you do own a pole dance studio. Yes. Is that? Yes. And it's award winning. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I was reading in this particular article, you were quoted as saying that when people come into your studio, and I'm paraphrasing, but when people come into your studio, you're not focused on the physical aspect. You want them to walk out of there feeling a certain way. Mm. Can you describe what it is that you want people to feel and experience after having gone through your sessions? Definitely. I, th- You know, so many of us lack a feeling of belonging. Society shows us all the ways that we don't belong, all the ways in which we are other, for whatever reason that might be, whether it's sexuality or how you identify in terms of your gender or your race, ethnicity, nationality. There are always ways of just not belonging. And I think that that's why people gravitate towards like sports teams mm-hmm. and things like that, because there is this urge, this very social urge to belong somewhere to have a team to have a family and I feel that that's what the studio the pole dance studio cultivates a sense of belonging I'm blessed enough to have um, brought other people hired people to work with me who also bring their experiences into what we're doing a major thing that's been a problem within the pole dance studio sort of industry is the way that it alienates sex workers for instance Mm -hmm. so all of us want to pop on our heels and prance around around a pole and um, emulate replicate imitate um, the moves that sex workers have used throughout the decades throughout the centuries if you want to go there but somehow we must put this caveat of oh but I'm not like them I'm not I don't do all of that but you're getting awfully close you know so (laughs) so so be respectful you know like be respectful so that's another thing making sure that the people um some of the people who work at the studio have that experience our sex workers you know our dancers so they are in that space as well because you can't you know, and this is something that as black women, especially we've experienced throughout the centuries, people wanting to co-opt our things while denigrating us, ostracizing, right. erasing us at the same time. So I've had to really, through having the pole dance studio, practice what I preach in order that I might have something that lives beyond me, but also that people who are experiencing it in real time, whether they know all of this history um, or so, uh, social context or not, they leave feeling more enriched. And the people who do know whether it's sex workers who are just like I just need some practice time with a pole they're coming in there and they're not seeing anti-sex worker rhetoric around the place um people who are gender non-conforming they're not being bashed all the time with um you know um he she all the time when they've said like that's I don't ascribe to that so when you do those things especially in a society that makes everybody um feel like they're lacking in some way at least people leave feeling like I learned a pole move, but I also feel like, you know, good about myself. Then that's enough because you can go anywhere and learn pole moves. But will you go to all of those people and feel like they respected who you are? Mm. Possibly not. And that's Mm. unfortunate. Yeah, that is unfortunate. I'm glad you brought up, you know, black women. I'm wondering, you know, do you find many women of African descent coming into your studio that they're curious 
I really want to know if we have reached a place as African women where this is something we feel like we can em- embrace and not be ashamed of. Ooh, ooh. I mean, this is why I think that your podcast is so great because you get to address these things, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that we're so still so repressed as African women, still so very repressed. Um, and, you know, damn white supremacist heteropatriarchy and colonialism for doing that to us, you know, um, as well as what we um, got from the transatlantic slave trade. Um People, a lot of a lot of uh, black women, a lot of African women come through the studio doors. They book poll parties. They book um, for hens, for hen parties, for birthday parties, for just because parties. We've had a couple of divorce parties as well. <laughs> um, so, you know, so they come through and they book for whatever reason. I'm always interested in when we get to the part where it's like, OK, let's take a picture. Oh, 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 oh no, I can't take a picture. I can't take no, a picture. Please. Can't take, no, please, 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 please. I can't take picture. If my husband sees this, if my fiance sees this, uh, 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 I can't take picture. And it's like, but what did you do here today that's wrong? What? Yeah. Why? Why can't they see? It's no, 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 because you have to be God-fearing. You have to, so because hey. we didn't fear God. So we didn't fear, what did we do? Please let me know because I fear God. So if I've done something. I also fear God. <laughs> yeah, so if I've done something that God's going to be mad at, let me know. Right? But, Is he going to strike me here and now yeah. because I need to know? Because <laughs> there's metal all around me. Damn. <laughs> so... So we're not allowed to express sensuality. We we play up to this pious um, nature, this weird piety. We we play up to it um, publicly, but we are so obsessed with sex. We're so <laughs> obsessed with the erotic because we do understand no matter how much, um, you know, whatever manner of colonialism and rigidity try to beat it out of us, we do understand the very powerful nature of sensuality and the erotic. And we understand that is a space from which we create. It's become a secret. And I would like if it, if it was going to be a secret, at least, at least let it be a cute secret, but not the type that people are shamed for ever expressing even a facet of that. I like what you said about combining the idea of the erotic as spiritual. And it brings me back to, you know, what you told us about your ayahuasca. Am I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. Yes. Experience and the way that you understood love in a completely different way. And I'm gonna stop talking because I would like you to reshare what your insights were, how your third eye was opened. Oh, yes. Oh, I can't wait to go back. I don't know when I'll go back, but the ayahuasca retreat was really, really powerful for me. So I find that some people would usually do one ceremony um, and I did four in the space of a week while I was there. So it was really, really rigorous. It was, oh, it was a lot. But I I went into the retreat with the intention of learning unconditional love or reminding myself about unconditional love. And so I said, I want to, this is my intention. I want to know what unconditional love, how it's meant to be shown, how it's meant to be practiced, and also to feel it for myself, for myself. Um, I want to experience a love so deep and rich that I haven't yet experienced in this physical realm. Um, Before I went, I think the day before I went into the jungle, because I was in the um, Amazon jungle, and then I said that I feel that I almost arrived in this world heartbroken. Mm. And it's been a steady state of trying to heal your own heartbreak, but the world continues to break your heart. So I need to go away and find a space to just recuperate. And so I'm there and 
even from the first night I started having these visions usually they say it kicks in about the third night but mine was like from the first night where I started to see um this like old woman and she was like oh well thank you for well done for coming back well done for making your way back and instantly in the vision I started crying and I was just like I'm just so tired I'm so tired and then it was more like I, you know she took the sun out of the sky and she was like drink the sun and I was like oh but it's gonna burn my lips and she just laughs and then I drank it and it was just like that was the explanation you know like there were so many layers over the few the ceremonies that I experienced that started to explain to me about unconditional love because ultimately I felt like it was something that was going to burn me that was going to do something or harm me or take something from me when actually it's just like no it's just there it's nourishing however you however you allow yourself to surrender to it it's nourishing and then it, over the course of the ceremonies it made more sense to me that my body has always shown me unconditional love like I would have gone through so much throughout the years as a result of you know trigger warning sexual abuse as a child there was I was so closed off from my body and so I would objectify the, myself my body in the way that it had been objectified and you know through that violation and through that abuse so even when I thought like I'm doing something healthy and which is why we need to be careful about praising people slash worshipping people that we see on social media or in the public when they're doing things, especially as it pertains to fitness, because you never really know the reasons that people are doing things. The motivation. And you, right. And then you see a body that you think is great and you're like, yay, wow, I want to do that. But you don't know why they're doing it. Yeah. So why people be like, wow, she's so healthy. She's so fit. She's so strong. You don't know what was running in my head to be that way because it was also it was always in answer to I need to be stronger I need to be fitter I need to be faster so nobody can do that to me again but that that's not a healthy place to operate from like it got me so far but I had to just want to do these things because it was fun to do so I had to break away from linking it to my trauma and so in you know taking part in the ceremonies I was shown that even with how harsh I'd been to my body how judgmental how closed off I'd been from experiencing my body my body helped me to you know um keep a pregnancy to term and give birth to my son so even with all of the negativity I was feeding in it was still helping me to create somebody who I love so dearly that then becomes a physical embodiment of my love so in that, just that vision that was shown to me, I got it. I got it that unconditional love is that. It, it's without condition. It will, it will continue to do. It will continue to love even when the outside circumstances aren't kind of um, conducive to it thriving. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a book. Why yeah. don't you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, I think, oh, Edge of Here. So Edge of Here is um, speculative fiction uh, that is romantic. I wanted a, a different world that was very close to this one that centered black women as they experienced the quote unquote supernatural whilst not experiencing trauma and still, you know, still navigating love. So there are eight stories in the short story collection. One of the stories is called The Watchers and it's about Chinonso and Indidi and they meet in every lifetime, but they never remember that they've met in every lifetime and oh, they fall wow. in love over and over again if they both choose to incarnate at the same time. And so we are watching their love story through the eyes of a, um, an entity known as The Watcher. 
-hmm. And there are many watchers, kind of like guardian angels, that are um, assigned to each couple to make sure that they leave the right clues at the the right time, the right coincidences that they bump into each other. So where we meet them in the present day is that Indidi is going to go and meet Chinonso at the Slavery Museum in Liverpool for their first date. And so she's trying to like walk on these cobbles in her heels and she's like, who the hell chooses like a slavery museum for the first date? That story, we look at how their love was torn apart before Mm. and we're then sort of rooting for them in the present day because they don't remember any of this, rooting for them in the present day to kind of make it through this first date you know where they feel like they're meeting for the first time so that's just one of the stories and why is it there it gets to cover what i understand and what i know about the transatlantic slave trade and the and the ways in which people's love was refracted and torn apart right and it's my hope and my imagination i'm kind of using i guess to kind of interweave those um, timelines back together so that we can find ourselves find each other throughout every timeline and every dimension so that the depravity of um, colonialism or the slave trade hasn't taken that away from us. Mm -hmm. So the stories are very varied. um, But that one is kind of like, you know, the the first one that opens up the book and opens up this whole universe. Yeah, I am really excited to read that um, because I my mother had us steeped in black history, transatlantic slave trade, um, Africa before the invasion, you know, since I was eight years old. Um, and I think that one of the the things that gets lost in the conversation, it's like, yes, you lost your home and you were taken away from Africa, but we rarely ever talk about the the loving relationships, the 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 connections, the marriages, you know, that yes. were split apart, the yeah. the romances that never got a chance to bloom, the the kids who had crushes on each other, you know, because they were taking kids as young as three years old, you know, up until like. In every stage that you could experience love, that love was ripped away from you during the transatlantic slave trade. So thank you for writing this story. I haven't read it yet, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Toni Morrison says like, um, if there's a book that you want to read that hasn't been written yet, you You have to be the one to, yeah, you must write it. When you're talking about unconditional love um, or or loving yourself in in this same um, conversation that we had in London, you know, you had shared with us that um, you and your partner we're no longer together. Mm-hmm. But then in a broader um, sense that I think was so freeing for many of the people that were there, you said that the end of a marriage is not a failure. Yes. Yes. And can you talk a little bit more about that? And Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, and it's something that I'm still exploring because when a relationship ends in any regard, whether you were just dating or mm. you were married or you were engaged, whatever the case may be, you have to chalk it up as a failure because it didn't go the length. So are you telling me then that, for instance, if somebody unfortunately passes away, that the relationship failed? No, because the relationship went as far as it could go based on the circumstances. So with that in mind, sometimes relationships go as far as they can go based on the circumstance of one of you or both of you have grown in different ways. And maybe you've seen through the life cycle of that particular dynamic that you have together. And that doesn't mean that there aren't spaces for other dynamics. We work in a very limiting binary way when we think that it's either this or that. It might just be not this, but there are so many other thises that it could possibly be. I really 
look at the situations like that when I think it was Tia Maori that spoke about, you know, um, breaking up with her husband and people are like, oh my God, after all that long and it's now failed. And it's like, well, no, because it was a success as long as it was a success. Was a success, yeah. Yeah, like, and, <laughs> and that's it. And then people just move on. When you leave a job, you didn't fail the job. You didn't fail the you, job. You outgrew it, found something yeah. better or got tired of it. Like it just wasn't serving just like, you. <laughs> right. And everything has a life cycle. Yes. Everything and a life span <laughs> yes yes and so you walk when you're walking around you see trees and then the leaves have fallen because it's a particular season you don't look at the tree and go oh well you failed you <laughs> look at the look at these leaves on the ground you failed no because the tree is doing exactly what nature intended for the tree to do in its own life cycle right that's simply what it is you have to be able and willing to shed what is required of you not even necessarily what no longer serves you no because we can't think of other people in that way or also just being disposable but wherever you are you are entering into a new field that just doesn't allow for a particular dynamic and you've got to be okay with that one of the main things that I think I took away from going to Peru solo, never having traveled that far away by myself ever before. Don't speak a lick of Spanish, none of that. But one of the things I took away from being at that retreat was being proud of myself for going. But also everybody returns home in the end, no, no matter how long we think it's going to take with our physical mind and how we understand time. But everybody will make it back to source. Everybody will make it back to the beginning. Yeah. And that's that's a scary thing. It's like, well, I, am I going to make it back if I put myself out there? You know, am I tethered enough to come back? Mm. I'm I'm thinking about you know what you were saying in terms of you know a, a relationship and jobs and cycles. And mm. I am friends with all of my exes except for mm-hmm. one. <laughs> <laughs> and and I still love these now men who were once mm. boys or young men. Mm. I still love them. Does the end of a relationship have to necessarily mean that? you no longer hold space in your heart to love this person as a person. Does it have to be toxic and absorbent? at all unless maybe the, unless if, if you know depending on people's circumstances if there was like abuse involved or something of like course, that. Yeah, More yeah. time like you can just love people and just realize that there is a different stage or there is a different journey or a path that you are being called to follow. That doesn't love doesn't end because energy can't be destroyed right it only just shifts energy can't be destroyed so i i agree in that sense that i don't necessarily have to be friends with all of them because people are mad no so i don't have to like be friends with all of them but in regards to like especially when it's a partner that you've been married to that you have a child with in my specific circumstance no like i there's there's not that animosity because that's still my homie like that's still my chargey like you know and i think that sometimes people want that salacious story and it's just like nah it's just yeah just is it nah. just is yeah. and it ain't <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so finally i'm going to end our conversation boo <laughs> With the question that we've been asking all of our guests this season, which Mm. is, can you share with us a sexy secret? And you can interpret that in any way that you like. Oh, a sexy secret. Oh, okay. Maybe Mm. you can help me with this or like the listeners can help me with this. Okay. Can a kiss on the neck be platonic? Absolutely not. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. I have been vindicated. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank You're saying you. something without saying something. <laughs> yeah, no, because, you know, recently somebody did that. And I kissed like, you on the neck. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was like, a, neck, um, a kiss on the neck leads to a kiss between your other neck. Like, you are going to be neck. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't just stop there. Like, you, you're was, saying something, like I said, without saying what you want to see. Okay. Because that's the thing. Because I was just like, Arr? like, I, I was really taken aback by it. Because, you know, like, you see people and they're, like, super professional and super... And then they were saying bye. They gave me a hug and they kissed me on the neck. I was just like, wait, am I... Wait, am I Elena? Because I... Like... <laughs> am I Elena? Because in my understanding... Of what you are doing here. Of what we are doing here. This is, this is really something. <laughs> this is something. This is something. No, this it is much erotical of, something. It is very erotic. It is one of the most like, and I think the neck is one of the, the spaces that gets ignored the most. Like, it's like, mm. oh yeah, you're all in my face. And like, you might be in my ear. You know, mm. obviously you're in my lips. But like, it's such a sensual part of your body. Your neck and the back of your knees. Hey, please. Oh. I'm pregnant for you. Ooh. <laughs> so I even had to like go online and start typing into Google like for forums and like it's a kiss on the neck platonic because I saw my friends and everybody was just like no absolutely not platonic but I then was I was like no it must be maybe it's a, in a it culture maybe somebody's maybe it's, because otherwise that is just a very wild move like she to said a, culture to, <laughs> you know because you have to leave space but now <laughs> I know now I feel now that I've asked you yeah i'm like all right cool yeah, yeah. so i yeah. that is it, hands down that was meant to mean something yes Fine. your instincts are spot on trust me cool okay <laughs> man you're a wise woman you're a wise woman you know <laughs> kalechi thank you so so much um this was such great fun it's been wonderful it's been wonderful chatting with you always wonderful chatting with you. i can't wait for the next time i'm putting it out there in yes, the universe amen. yes amen amen yeah yeah Kalechi, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Ah, Medasipa. <laughs> That's true for thank you. <laughs> I love it. And this is just a special note from me. Don't let your kangaroo pooch keep you from your pole dancing dreams. I am very inspired by this conversation to climb that pole, climb to my aspirations. Thank you so much, Kalechi, for helping me to embrace my body. Listeners, tune in next week for another exciting conversation with a very special guest. Until then, keep coming. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is hosted by Malaika Grant and Nana Darkose Chiama. Sally Chan, AQ Studios CEO, is an executive producer alongside the hosts. Ferdy Boswell is a senior producer. Audio editors are Mercy Barna and Tevin Sudi, alongside production support from Mercy Gedaiga and Lucas Ngao. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is a production of AQ Studios in partnership with Massey Media. Follow us on all our socials at AQ Studios Podcasts. Our theme music is Damn by Ria Boss. Find Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women anywhere you get your podcasts and in the pursuit of all things sex, sexuality, and pleasure, follow us on all our social media platforms at Adventures From. Thank you for listening. Damn, so blind. God damn.